This episode of Bet the Process is sponsored by Hull Tactical. It's our first time being sponsored by anybody, Jeff. How do you feel about it? I'm pretty excited just because it's a really relevant and important sponsor. Jeff, do you play the markets? I don't really. I don't try to. I have all my stuff in very passive accounts. I mean, we've all heard that market timing is kind of a fool's errand, right? I mean, that's what I've always heard. That's what I've heard too. But but Hull Tactical actually doesn't believe that. Hull Tactical says that there are edges to be found via market timing. Um, they're an independently, privately owned firm focused on quantitative asset management. Their approach to investing is rooted in the recent explosion of data, combining macro and technical indicators to realize a risk return profile superior to a buy and hold strategy. Hull believes market timing is not only possible, Jeff, but necessary to adapt to a changing investing environment and provide long-term appreciation regardless of the direction of the broader market. For more information on Hull Tactical, you can go to hulltactical.com and you can also listen to an interview with the CEO, Petra Bakasova, which will run at the end of each episode. You can hear little tidbits of wisdom from her. On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I talk contests because he has finally learned about Survivor and entered a bunch of contests this week. And we have the contest king, David Frohart Lane, who has a very interesting background in both finance and sports betting and is now a big market maker in the sports betting industry. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet, bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome the to the latest episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where Rufus is in Vegas, I can assume sporting the vintage you down with btp bet the process the vintage t-shirt made by i believe eric crawford one of our listeners one of the seven uh rufus uh i heard that you entered the the uh circa contest is that true i did i entered both the circa millions and the circa survivor what name did you use you know Jeff, I can't say what name I use because then everybody knows what my entries are. And oh, oh, let's just say that there was some interesting uh, social media commentary. Let's just not say anything. No, okay, we won't say anything. Okay, well, well, anyways, that's a pro tip and a hint. Uh, so, Rufus, have you? You've never really done one of these before, right? So, this is a new thing for you. What prompted you to want to do this? This is my first ever handicapping contest of any kind, Jeff. What prompted you to want to do this? Well, there was a approximately $800,000 overlay for the Circa Millions. So essentially, I mean, it's positive EV, assuming I'm not just talking away my picks and have some idea what I'm doing. Even if I'm just, I feel like if I'm throwing darts, it's probably still positive EV. Can you explain what an overlay is to our seven an overlay listeners? is, so the contest guaranteed $5 million in payouts, I believe, and there were only enough entries to to essentially um justify 420 or sorry for um sorry 5 million to justify 4.2 million in in payouts so in essence there's uh there is if if I'm just if there's no skill involved uh 
Um, my edge would be, let's see, whatever $800,000 divided by 5 million is. So, so what, um, as you did this, okay. So essentially your positive EV entering in this, assuming that everyone's throwing darts, um, at not. some level. Well, right. So, but you think it's positive EV. So what are you doing to even further increase that EV? So uh, this is one thing, I mean, and I'm very interested in talking to our our guest, David Frohart Lane, former Super Contest winner, about sort of his approach. And I feel like I'm kind of learning on the fly here, Jeff. But Did you enter, I, sorry, I, are they both Survivor and the Pick'em one? Or? I entered the Survivor one as well. And the Survivor one has no overlay. It is, um, there were something like 9,500 entrants, and I think it's winner take all. For, and so they're... Um, I'm not paying a VIG either though. Right. Although I have to pay a little bit of a VIG because I'm not in Vegas all the time. And so I'm going to have to uh, have a friend um, put in a proxy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. You were talking about what you were going to do. So, so I think early on in the contest, um, you, you asked how I'm going to sort of have an edge. And so I think for the handicapping contests, part of it is, getting good numbers. So the contest numbers come out and then markets move after that. And so you can have a bit of an edge that just, um, just based on the line movement. But I think that's something that a, a lot of people are going to be doing. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing what percentage of people bet on or, or submitted picks on each team and kind of um, as a function of, as a function of that sort of line movement in the stale lines. So I can kind of see, game theoretically, if it makes sense to, to take these stale numbers or to kind of differentiate myself, I would think early on, you know, game theory is less important is we have what five picks a week for 18 weeks, 90 picks. It's a lot. Um, and I think also it's going to depend on how I'm doing. So, so far my picks went 15 and 10. So I had five entries. I think it, there was a few, there, there's one that went four and one, some went three and two, one that went two and three, but overall um, 20 or what did I say? 15 and 10. So, okay. Right. Not, not, not amazing. Um, it's probably decreases. I, How many of the lines this week were, were stale by the time that the, you know, that, that you were last entering week? contest. Yeah. Last week, last week. Well, I used the unabated tool and I, the biggest edge I saw just based on the line moves was like five and a half percent. And that was which game? I think it was either, um, Dallas or, or Houston. So I, I took Dallas and Houston and then I took some Massey Peabody stuff as well. The Massey Peabody stuff did a little bit better. Actually. Um, we had Tampa Bay, we had the Rams, we had the dolphins, Unfortunately, we also had the Patriots and another team that didn't cover. I'm guessing that there was some stale, relatively stale lines on Tampa, right? Because Tampa dropped to four, I think I saw on Chris on Sunday morning. And then I, I also saw that uh, Cincinnati or Cleveland rather was pretty much even at on. So like those are all, but you had to have your picks in by then. We I had to put our picks in by Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific. Oh, okay. So, so you that can't. Made it tough. So yeah. you're looking more at, at, sort of the midweek line movement. Got it. So there aren't huge, huge edges there, but I find the survivor stuff so much more interesting because it's just so different from anything I normally do. And Jeff, I know right. you, you, you always, you love talking to me about your survivor picks and I'm always like, ah, eh, it's boring, but now I'm like, okay, this is more interesting. 
What's ironic is that I'm not in a survivor league this year. So I'm probably going to tell you it's boring, but I actually, I find it interesting. So I, I think we can still talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. Well, um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just going into this without having ever done any work on it or, or thought that hard about what the optimal strategy is. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, I think I'm kind of, I'm learning as I go. And maybe the the listeners will learn. This is like when you started this. learning. This is when you like started learning about college basketball and how much fouling there is at the end of the, at the end of the game. I knew about that, Jeff. Jeff, you yeah, don't but realize you didn't, this, but you I was didn't a huge really Maryland basketball fan growing up. I was a, I was a very big college basketball fan growing up. Once I, I moved to Vegas and started betting, and I wasn't betting college basketball, I stopped following it. But you don't really feel it until you have the under in one of these games or the over in one of these games, and you see what happens at the end of the game. That's a fair point. Watching it's, like it's, in high school is very different. You don't really feel the amount of ridiculous fouling there is. Okay, so let's talk about Survivor really quickly because I agree with you. It is interesting. And because the Survivor is the classic, uh, I would say, you know, the, the every man believes it's just survive. That's the only point, right? Whereas I think the more nuanced believe it's to win ultimately the pool. And to do that, you aren't just necessarily trying to survive each week. You're trying to pick the most optimal play based on what you believe everyone else is going to play. And also in, in saving certain uh, plays. like there's two, there's, there's almost like three things, right? One is you want a team that's going to win. Obviously two is you want um, you don't want to use someone that you could probably use later. That would be helpful later. And the third is you don't want to do something that, that everyone else is doing in your pool, especially if you're in a, in a, a bigger pool. That's that's a really really good breakdown, Jeff. And that's exactly basically what I was going to say. These there's these three different facets. So, the easiest thing to do is figure out how much that sort of leverage is worth. So, if I have let in in the pool this week there, or this past week, thirty eight percent of the entries were on the Commanders, and I think thirty one percent were on the Ravens. And so, if um, based on the Commanders had a, I believe just shy of seventy percent chance of winning according to the market. The Ravens were over seven, 75% or so because they were a nine and a half point favorite. But you had a lot more, um, you had more commanders entries, I think, because the commanders are a worse team. And so using them is much better for for future value. That that to me is harder to figure out than figuring out how much essentially being levered on a team um, is worth. And so that's a you know function of how, you know, your percentage, or if you only have one entry, if you're on them um, relative to um, how often they're picked and then how, what their actual chance of winning is. So it's interesting. There are a few, well, there are 31 people or 31 entries that didn't even submit a pick, Jeff, for week one. 0.3% of the pool just gone. Uh, but there were people, nobody picked the Dolphins, nobody picked the Giants out of 9,500 entries. But you did have a few on Houston. And you had a few on sort of these in Arizona. You want to tell people why those, that's probably not a good idea? Because those teams aren't likely going to win and they're not likely going to be needed later to bet on also. Yeah, I think so that's two of the three factors I mean, that we talked. I mean, it's very contrarian, it's clearly, which is good. Right. <laughs> contrarian is good. If, I mean, you want to position yourself so that if, if something unexpected and unlikely happens, you profit. Right, but that the the theory there would not be that you need to go that far and choose. It's just you don't choose, right? You choose one of the others, and you hope that if one of those or two of those teams go down, 
then all of a sudden you're left with being one of the last 40% or 30% of the pool. Yeah, exactly. You don't need, you, you can, I mean, looking at the allocation of picks, you could have taken a team at pick and, and a line of pick and basically, you know, you're, there were just as few people taking them or relatively speaking, it's like 0.1, 0 0.09% instead of 0.02%, right? Um, as the really, really unlikely teams to win. So you said you created a model that sort of predicts where you think the overall pot size, overall like picks are going to well, be going forward. So just this morning before we recorded, I, I basically put the data in it's, you know, I only have what a sample of 32, a uh, sample size of 32, but I basically built a little model to try to figure out, uh, to figure out what percentage of people are going to be on each team as a function of the points, well, the money line and the relative strength of the teams. So I used a power rating for the, like a, a market power rating for each team going into week one and then built a model that actually um, explains a decent percentage of it. You know, actually I'm modeling actually the log of the number of selections because uh, it's, I didn't actually even test, but I assume it's pretty log normal. And the the sort of regression I built explains 93% of that variation. So um, it it predicted commanders, then Ravens being way header, way higher than the other teams. So again, the, the, the danger there though, is the fact that I'm predicting something that's already happened. And I don't know if that's going to be uh, the pattern going forward because people probably saw this and are going to change their behavior based on the week one selections and where they think people are going to be. So it's, you know, that's the challenge for sure. Makes sense. Uh, do you want to do our timing the market segment of the week? Let's do it. Okay. So this is the timing the market segment of the week. It's brought to you by Hull Tactical. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about this sort of controversy that's going on on Twitter with uh, right angle sports releasing some college picks pretty early in the week and um, the effect that that may have on the market. Do you think this is a real thing that people should gripe about? Or do you think this is much ado about nothing? I think people are entitled to gripe if they feel that it, something somebody else is doing is hurting their edge. So is there is gripe, there an appropriate but, time for a tout to release a, a pick? I mean, every the thing is, Jeff, everybody's in it for themselves here. If the tout, if they the tout feels like they can do better by releasing their picks early, they should do it. If someone feels like they should, if they can make money betting earlier, they should do it. And we end up in this race to the bottom, but I, I don't really see any other way. So do you the think people that, that are the people that have gripes are the ones that want to bet more? And so they're, the market gets more efficient more quickly. And so they, they're the bigger fish. The, the, so the, the main issue that people have is that earlier in the week, the lines are more fragile and they would tend to move more. And so if the, you know, this, especially when the limits are kind of low, like a lot of people aren't able to get real money down anyways. So there's a lot, there's a lot of like nuances to this in terms of timing the market, just the way that the market ends up maturing over time with being able to take more bets um, and take larger money and move less. So 
in some respects, you would think like it would make a little bit more sense for a tout to release later because then their customers can get down a little bit more, more money and they probably don't affect the market quite as much, or I don't know. But but most of their customers are probably not people betting 10,000, 20,000 a game. So, okay. Well, maybe one day we talked about this, we'll have uh, Raz on and talk about this as one of the things we debate. So that That'll was be the- that was the timing the market uh, segment brought to you by Hall Tactical, and now we're going to welcome in David Frohart Lane, DFL, to talk a little bit about contests in his career arc, from financial guy into you know sports betting trader galore. So um, we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome into the Bet the Process podcast David Frohart Lane. DFL as his friends call him or do his friends call him that? I don't know. Do your friends call you that DFL? Depends on the friend group. Some do, some don't. Okay. So uh, David uh, and I met many, many years ago at Sloan because I was moderating a panel on sports betting and David had just won the Superbook sports contest. So he was incredibly relevant to all of us. Um, but your background and uh, who you are, I think is, is much more substantive than winning some contest. Um, came in coming out of the financial markets and then getting into betting, uh, you're, you're right in our sweet spot. So excited to have you on, um, and talk a little bit about what you're up to now, but let's first take a step back and tell us a little bit about your background before the world of sports betting, um, what you did, and then kind of segue into how you got into sports betting. All right. First of all, super excited to be here and thanks for having me. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get straight into it. And, and as it turns out, there's actually even a, an additional twist, which is that uh, I was actually I, I was a professional gambler before I got into financial markets, and 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 that's how I kind of got recruited to get into to financial markets. So I'll try to uh, breeze through this reasonably quickly, not to to, to waste too much time, but um, uh, really just developed a fascination with sports betting uh, uh, world. This is you know when I graduated college back in like '99, and um, just decided I want to be a professional sports gambler. Um, at the time, and this is a distinction that might become relevant when we start to talk about contest strategy, I was definitely more of a quant than like a, a, a trader who's just always on the lookout for edge. So my mentality at the time was to say, I need to pick one sport and I need to nail it. And I need to, you know, I pick baseball and I figure I need to do absolutely everything perfectly. I have to, you know, make a distinction between stuff like the park effect has changed going forward versus the park effect has changed as you know in, in a way that affects how I or, or my opinion of the park effect has changed and affects how I would in, interpret historical data and so I'd had this very complicated code that tried to take everything into account um you know and ended up it, it, it did end up going um um quite well um you know the markets were obviously a lot easier to beat um, um back then um um and really uh made made some friendships there through the the major wager discussion forum we ended ended up um we ended up uh you know kind of starting our own secret club you know secret forum uh that there was an offshoot of that but but major wager is where it where it started and uh major wager where it is where i met um, um brandon who's the, who's the co-founder of my company now he was known as machiavelli and he had just you know phenomenal success as, as an in-play trader at world of sports exchange he got recruited to go to a place called getco in 2003 kind of had runaway success there too. They asked him, do you have any friends who are similar to you? And he said, yeah, this, this guy DFL. So that, that's how I got into the financial industry. 
Um, I'll try to breeze through that a little bit too. And, and, and just say that, you know, I kind of just right place at the right time. Um, high frequency trading was just being invented. High frequency market making in particular was basically just being invented. And we got in there and started to say like, you know, Hey, if Microsoft's trading at 2440 on the bid and 2450 on the offer, what if we just bid 41 and, 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 and offer 49, um, and, and then, you know, we're, we're not really thinking at all about like, what's the value of, of Microsoft as a company. We're thinking about like, you know, what, what's fair value based on how this has been trading in the, in the last few seconds. And we started to get, you know, very, very good at that. The, 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 the price started getting competed down to very narrow spreads where these major stocks like Microsoft by, by 2004 or five were, were typically one and two cents wide all of the time. So it would be like, you know, 2443 at, at, at 24.45. Um, and very much unlike what I was doing in baseball, where I was just looking very, very deeply at fundamental data, it was all about um, the, the types of issues we were thinking about were like, hey, how much does it matter how big that last trade was? Does it matter if that last trade was consistent with the previous trade? How much size is on the bid and the offer? And, and, and trying to just think about these what in, what very possibly minute implications for 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 pricing that might have um and 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 help us you know compete on price so you know basically i'm i'm, I'm describing market making we kind of got in there we were you know the biggest player in 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 just about every market we traded because not a lot of other people were doing it um and um led to me spending 15 years in the, in the financial industry setting up all kinds of different trades um that were pretty much all in that high frequency type of uh, space where where it, 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 it's all about interpreting market data and reacting to market data and making decisions and not at all about like, how much is Microsoft worth? How much is a barrel of oil worth? Any of that stuff. So that was kind of my career there. And and now shifted back to back to sports betting, kind of always, always what I wanted to do. Um, you, you know, back, <clears throat> back working with Brandon again, well, you know, we've co-founded this company where we're, we're doing, uh, a few different things that we can, we can, you know, I'm happy to talk about, or, um, you know, take the conversation any, any direction you guys want to. First, I, I want to know a little bit more about how you build these algorithms, um, for, for the high frequency trading market making. I mean, I'm sure it, it was algorithmic, right? Yeah, definitely algorithmic. Um, you know, I think, the way I, I describe it sometimes is that the algorithm can end up seeming fairly complicated, but it, but it, it it's just the series of a, a bunch of very simple logical steps. And I, and I just think of it as like, let's just stick with Microsoft because I randomly started talking about it. Let's say you had that Microsoft model and, and you could, you could say, let's start with a simple model and let's just say, um, all right, let's just look at the last trade that happened and 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 bid for a penny less than that and offer for a penny more than that. That's probably, you know, due to like selection bias and stuff, that's probably a little too simple to make money. So you start saying like, all right, well, you know, we we, we just got run over because, you know, the S&P just plummeted and, 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 and people sold Microsoft to us. So let's build in some logic that like, if there's a big down move in, in, in the S&P, let's no longer be on, on the bid. And if there's a big up move, let's, let's no longer be on the offer. And okay, now you add that twist to your model and you do just a bunch of steps where you're saying like, all right, this looks a little better. What, what am I missing? How are people beating me? All right, let me, let me patch that up. And you just kind of keep going with a bunch of just frankly steps that are just not complicated to understand at all. And you end up with this thing that, that could seem quite convoluted, 
Um, but but because of the way you built it, it's 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 much more battle tested and and um you know and 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 makes makes good money. I don't know if that is the same approach. I haven't looked at financial markets recently. You know, everybody's you know yapping about machine learning and stuff, and maybe maybe it's just gone to a new level where that that type of let's just keep it simple approach no longer works. But but certainly back in the day, um that that was the that that was the way to go about it. I mean, I like that it's logical. Um, were you able to? I mean, you were learning from doing, but were you before you even started executing? Were you did were you able to sort of test different strategy, test these, you know, stuff? We 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 built out that functionality at some point, um, but in the early days, no. In the early days, it was it was just like even historical data. Um, I remember Gecko was just starting to get it when I joined and it was like 30 seconds snapshots. It was just like, here's what the market looked like here. Here's what it looked like there. So the idea of like testing an execution algorithm was just, it was just something you couldn't even consider. Um, um, but we, we did kind of develop that over time so that, um, um, but, but in the early days you were, you were just testing live. You were like, and, but, but that's the thing about financial markets is there's so, so many shares trading. You can just try, you can just say, you know, I have a few different ideas. So let me just try three different models that are trading Microsoft for a hundred lots and let's just watch it go back and forth and see which one starts, starts making money. Um, in, in fact, uh, you know, some of the stuff we, we did way, way back in the day is we used to just have these processes that would just, you know, randomly generate, uh, models with a bunch of little different twists on them and just send thousands of models out into the market um and then just start pruning them where it could literally be the case that if you know if you lost two cents on your first trade you would say i'm no i'm I'm, I'm just done trading that model not because you knew it was a dud but because you knew probabilistically it's it's not it's not the right place for me to focus let me let me let me like narrow it down to the half that that, that made a penny uh, on the first trade and and you just you end up with something pretty good and, and and just managing those processes ended up being kind of what the trading job was in 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 it at, at one point in the in the arc there so now you are market making in sports um yeah. both for i know you're the primary market maker for sport trade and i know you do other market making as well what in yeah. doing that you're doing more fundamental analysis as well knowing where where you, i'm sure you have a model that says what you believe the true price is but what are the similarities in terms of and differences i guess in terms of um your experience market making in sports versus in finance yeah i think if you keep it all high level you can almost try to sell it to people like it really is the same thing it's like you're, you're trying to make the, the bid off offer spread yeah, uh, you have to worry about selection bias. There's moments in time where the price is more volatile. Like you can kind of make it sound like the same thing. Um, but but when you start to get into into the details, um, it it is it it is pretty different. I think that the um, yeah, I don't know. Even even the sports from from one sport to another. I guess I guess pregame, it's not really that different. You're 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 terrified of injury news constantly, um, and you're trying to. Um, you know, get out in front of that and have ways of algorithmically finding out when there's there's injury news. You know, you, you're going to lose on no matter how good you are. Somebody is going to find out about some injury before you. So, you're, you know, you're going to lose on some trades that way. Um, and then you just have to have a, a, an algo that's strong enough to, um, you know, make it back in, in, in the times when you're not getting burned, all while minimizing the number of times that you do get burned in the, in the first place. I'm not sure I'm doing a great job of, of, of answering that question. I guess what I will say is... Um, Maybe the reason I'm not doing a great job of answering that question is, is I'm thinking of pregame, and, and pregame actually is fairly analogous, I think. I think it's when you get to in-game 
um, that that there there start to uh, there start to be some pretty substantial differences. It, it, it's just like you know somebody hits a double. It's like okay, what's the new price? Like you you can't you can't just do the same you can do in the in 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 the financial markets or frankly you can even get away with in pregame sports where you say I don't know anything about this game. I don't know who's playing, but uh, this is what the rest of the market thinks, and I'm gonna just kind of you know you know pay be really good about interpreting them. It's just like if you wait for that market to become robust and develop you're never going to have a market in there before before the next batters you know up, up up there taking a swing so i think the the big difference there is we just you have to have some fundamental notion of what's going on in the sport and furthermore it has to be different for each sport even though there are some commonalities about how things trade there's a period of time when there's a stoppage in play and you can be reassured there's a period to play uh, 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 a period of time where there's where there's uncertainty and you need to trade that differently. The, the, the what's going on in the game is, is fundamentally different and requires somebody to spend a pretty good amount of time thinking about it for, for each sport um, that you're trading in play. How do you react to, um, I guess I'll give an example to, to live trading and let's say someone comes in and pops the over it, um, and then at the next stoppage of play, they're betting the over again and, and continuing to bet. You're continuing to get hammered on one side. Are you, and you have your model that says based on the game state and all that and the pregame expectation, this is where the price should be. Do you have some sort of dial where you can say, okay, maybe we're off somewhere here. Like let's move, let's move things 3% towards the over for everything going forward. Or are you just, you have your sort of model, um, you're putting up prices and then you're just reacting based on, each bet coming in. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> explain that very well, but no, no, I, I, I get your question completely. And, and um, yeah, I think, I think one distinction I'd make between us and, 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 and maybe other firms within the industry is I think we rely less on, on human operators. We, we, we have someone there all, all the time uh, seeking to, to, to react to what's happening, to pick up on things that are not being incorporated in the model and, 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 you know, move around these dials to be able to properly account for things. But I think we view our primary task here is making the, the model good enough and robust enough and nimble enough to be able to do all this stuff on its own. So if we, if, you know, we don't want that to be the final conclusion that like, like, Hey, the model didn't, didn't, you know, didn't realize that they're not going to use their closer. And, and we had to like, you know, manually adjust that. We should be like, all right, how are we going to identify that next time and, and, and get it um, into the model? So I think that's, that's maybe one distinction worth, worth going into. I think I'm going to take my answer back to something similar to what I was saying with the financial markets. We're not trying to necessarily design like this perfect, um, you know, machine learning algorithm where we just throw a bunch of stuff at it and make it better and better and better. I think we think of our goal as more do the thing that you think a smart person with time on their hands would end up doing. So, you know, Rufus was mentioning this possibility of just somebody piling in on the over. I think the thing you want to do is you want to think about why you're getting that fill. And there's a number of different possibilities. You know, the the, the best possibility is just some recreational guy just wants to bet on the over. And, and then it's just like, all right, we got some risk, but it's not, it's, it's risk that we, we happily take. And, and we're not going to really think about it too, too much more than that. Um, you know, another possibility is that somebody has an opinion. Um, and, and the question becomes, is their opinion worth paying attention to? Uh, and it could be, you can even split that into a couple of different dimensions. Somebody's opinion could be worth paying attention to because they're right and you're wrong. Uh, or even in the case where you are 
right, their opinion may foreshadow the way the rest of the market is thinking about the things. And, and if we don't want unlimited risk on, on one side, you, you know, we may we may want to adjust to the market, even if we believe in our, our models valuation. Um, and then a final reason that they, they might be making the bet is they just have an it's like an information lag. Like they they found out that, the, you know, the guy struck out before you found it out. And um, and, and that's kind of one of those things that you seek to avoid. But when it happens, that's probably a sharp customer, but it's not like a, a sharp customer that is foreshadowing more differences uh, in, in the future. I kind of wrap that up as if that was the only possible set of explanations. But obviously, another big one would be just like the whole existence of ARBs out there. You know, we could, we, you could be getting a, a fill because you're offering an ARB. And then you want to ask yourself, did we mean to offer an ARB? You know, would they have still done this trade if we had offered a smaller ARB? So, so I think, you know, that I'm not, I guess I'm not being super direct about what the algorithm is doing. But, but what I'm saying is, is that is the framing of it. That is how we're trying to design the algorithm so that it is, it is behaving in a way that somebody with, with logical answers to those questions would be behaving. It's, this is super interesting to me as a better, just thinking about the differences between betting and market making and, and just, and obviously the market making, you have betting plus a whole nother aspect, but then you're also getting all this feedback that you're not getting from betting yeah. to tell you where you're wrong and you can improve from there. And I, I would assume you can Im improve much quicker market making than betting. No, that that's a great point. And I think, um, yeah, market making is much more like, uh, sitting down at the poker table and you kind of just have to take your lumps the first time to, to help figure it out. You can't just read a book on poker and then, and then be, you know, be a plus EV player. Um, there, there's some parallel. I mean, you can still kind of, you know, learn as a better, uh, in, in, in the sense that like, you can see if, if, you know, Pinnacle and Bookmaker are different from you, you can, you can, you can ask yourself why, um, but it's not as just in your face and immediate and, and, um, constant as, as the feedback you get as a market maker. You want to segue into contests, Rufus? Yeah, we can do that. We do have the former winner of the Superbook uh, Super Contest. Super Contest. Can you describe that experience a little bit to us, David, and then uh, give Rufus some guidance on how he should manage his Circa overlay right now? Well, and I want I want to hear like what your approach to it was. Well, I got to be a little careful because I'm I'm in that contest too, but I'm I'm still I'm still happy to uh, I'm still happy to pursue this conversation. Um, yeah, so so my contest strategy, uh, I can get into it a little bit, but um, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a letdown. It's kind of just like, hey, man, it's fun to be in football contests and you got to pick five teams and I'm going to take my best shot. There, There is some strategy, um, but but, you know, you, you know, and I and I enjoy the strategic aspect of it, but I, I also don't want to kid myself about how much I am improving my chances by, by using the right strategy. I, I, I had a, a run in, in contest back then. It actually wasn't just the 2013 super contest. Uh, the M had a, they, they tried to make a go of having contests themselves. I, I believe they had a hundred thousand dollar entry contest in 2010 that Crackman won. I think there was only seven or eight entries. Uh, 2011, I won the contest. It was down to a $10,000 entry. There were 15 entrance and somehow that was good enough to I got a little write up in the uh, Thule wrote me up in the daily racing form um so that was kind of cool and then uh 2012 this is the lamest one but I'll still sneak it in there there was like a 29 way tie or something like that for the mini contest it was just uh it's just who has the, the 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 best final three weeks in the super contest and I was you know one of those 29 people so technically I, I won a contest in 2012 and then 2013 won won the super contest 
And then the other thing I'll sneak in is in 2014, I was really surprised that nobody was talking about this, but I was in like after week nine, I was in like fourth place and I was like two points behind the leader. And I was just like, holy shit, this is going to happen again. And then, and then just spit the bid and, 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 you know, didn't win, you know, practically anything the rest of the season. But um, so I kind of had a crazy run from 2011 to 2014 in the contest. Rufus, I know you asked about the the, the contest strategy itself, and I, I definitely want to downplay how important that is, even though there is strategy. You're kind of just picking games and 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 hoping for the best. There's a couple things that come to mind in, 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 with strategy. There, there's just, you know, obviously, the more likely the pick is to win, the, the, the better that is, all things being equal. But perhaps the more important thing is you, you want to make the picks that, that, that other people aren't picking. Um, and those two principles tend to be... Uh, you know, anti-correlated to each other. If, if say there's a big line movement uh, 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 in a game as there, as there was like, you know, this pack, past weekend with like, you know, Vikings bucks um, it's just like, Hey, the bucks had value in, in, in the, in the, in the super contest because they were, uh, you know, the, the, the line was stale, the line had come down. Um, but that's offset by the fact that like, presumably more people see that and, and, and also bet the bucks. I think at some level you, you, you have to be willing to, um, you have to be willing to take some of those like, you know, line moves going the, 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 the wrong way because you get so much benefit from the, the idea that like, hey, if this does win, I am going to uh, I'm going to really gain ground on people. Um, so I think I think throughout the year, you're probably going to have to take those. I think what, what ends up happening with people is they they kind of see that around week 15 if they're in contention they're looking around and they're seeing, hey, I'm in, I'm in this group of like six or seven people that has a shot of winning. I'm going to try to get a pick that these other six or seven people don't have and try to like get, get the leg up at the end. I think the principle still kind of holds around week one or week two. You you want to, at some level, set yourself up to be, to win. So you will, the idea is you'll just, you'll just, you won't win. If, if all the, if all the line moves are hitting, that's just going to be one of those years. You're not going to win the contest. If you're playing it optimally, you're striving instead to be the winner when the line moves aren't working um and then certainly the holy grail is is if you can figure out a, a a game where there isn't a line move but you can nevertheless still discern which side people are going to like um we were actually talking about that in the office and i'm not sure we have clear theories but we, we noticed that for instance you know that the lots of people took the Steelers and lots of people took the commanders even though there was no line movement um and we're not sure if the 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 way to predict which those, which way those are going to go is, is is like is it what side do the squares like or, or is it like maybe even what side do the semi sharps like and and I'm not quite sure what the answer to that is but but it, but but I think that that's where the juice is is, is figuring out those games that people are going to disproportionately come on, on on one side versus the other. You think um, that matters? That matters more than ha- like some sort of handicapping knowledge and just being able to. Yeah, I. Well? I, I and handicapping knowledge is, is helpful and, and any, any edge is great, but, but like, you know, I, I think I'd rather have a pick that has a 50% chance of winning that, that everybody is, is disagreeing with than just a pick that has a 54% chance of winning. I think if you, you know, without doing the math, I'm, I'm just pretty sure that that's how it works out. I, I've done some horse racing contests over the years and, uh, uh, met, met up with a guy who's a very serious horse player and, and he's like, Oh, this is great. I'd love to talk about horse racing contests with you. And he kind of asked me, you know, what's your what's your strategy? And uh, and I'm just said, I don't know. I just bet a bunch of random horses and try to take on some variants. And he was just so let down because I think he just knew immediately, like, wow, 
that puts you almost on even par with me, even though I actually have good opinions about about these horse races. Um, so I, I think there's there's that kind of kind of principle there. Do you um have you ever done any of the survivor pools? Rufus is now in a survivor pool, so he cares about it. So what one? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the um I'm in in the uh, the circle one, and so I, I think I mean the 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 relevant person to cite here is uh, our old friend Vegas watch who used to uh you know he, he published i think it was like the three principles which i uh, i hope i can remember them off the top of my head one was just like how likely is it that this pick is going to win how much future value does this team have if it's a team that you know is, is really good and plays some terrible people at home later on then maybe you want to save them um and then how much am i going against the crowd you know again it's that same principle of you you want to have something that, that other people don't have and i think that really is kind of the correct way to frame it is just looking at those those three those three principles there there really is benefit towards going against the crowd as you know for as, as we were just talking about in, in in regular contests and then i think it's even more so in survivor survivor contests where there can be this path dependency where if you just kind of start taking different teams um you know, you could find yourself in a situation where it's like, I don't know, week 14. And it's just like, all right, these guys that are, um, you know, I don't know, the bills are at home against somebody terrible. Um, but everybody's already used the bills. You can be kind of like the one guy who who gets a, a, a difference there and, and, and has a chance to differentiate yourself. So, I mean, yeah. I guess it's figuring out, like figuring out how much other people are valuing each of these things. And so I actually just earlier this morning built a little regression just off of off of the entries this this or past week just to kind of figure out um how much uh the entrants were were valuing sort of how good or bad a team is relative to um the line obviously the the they want the big favorites but then within that you know there's a reason the commanders had more selections than the ravens because the commanders have much you know you're never right. you're never going to use right. them so yeah it's it so you have these three principles but literally my model is my model is um is using the two principles for it so it's it's in a way what yeah. you, you need to figure out is what where well how much they're valuing each relative to how much they should value each yeah yeah i think i think so it, it, it's all about figuring out what the, the um what what the what the entries in in your particular contest are going to do um and i think uh I mean, as long as we're talking about contests, I, I have to talk about the, the the most fun contest there is, which is, of course, Hodes Madness. And, um, you, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's this uh, it's this it's this survivor like thing for the NCAA tournament. I think it's just designed spectacularly well. It really depends on what other people are doing and what other people are doing has changed over the years. So there was a time in the NCAA tournament, the quote unquote obvious thing to do in a survivor style contest um is to find those games where it's a six seed and an 11 seed and the uh and, and the 11 seed is actually favored or is a pick em. i guess I, I i neglected a a, a fairly important part of hoads madness which is that you get more points if your higher seed wins so there's kind of like you know your first order of strategy is is is, is like find the game where like the high seeded team is actually not an underdog and pick them there was a point with Hodes Madness where so many people did that so reliably and consistently that by far the, 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 the best strategy was to do the stupid square thing where you just like take the six seeds who are actually likely to lose. And then if it does happen, you, you know, the, the whole, you know, half the field is going to get knocked out and you, and you can whittle it down. I 
I, I loved the fact that that was true so much that I still use that strategy on Hodes Madness till this day, even though it's kind of no longer true that the, the picks have gotten a bit more dispersed. Um, um, so I, I probably need to change it up for, for, for this year. Um, so yeah, I guess that's just a way of getting at the principle that it's, that there, you know, the, the, the optimal strategy does depend on, on obviously the, the behavior of, of everybody else, uh, in, in the contest. Awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us. A uh, lot of interesting discussion about market dynamics. I think that um, will be good for us to continue to noodle on on this podcast. So appreciate your time. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So that was David Frohart Lane and uh, a very interesting podcast discussing markets. I, th I think one of the things that's most fascinating to me about um, these contests is the amount that they, you know, your strategy is dictated by sort of game theory and by ultimately the way the mark, the way that you, it's like almost like a great study on market dynamics where like what he was discussing at the end, which I didn't fully understand the structure of this like hoax madness game or whatnot, but it'd be interesting to look up, but just the idea that, cause we talk about this a little bit in the podcast where are there times that a market becomes so sharp that the thing to do is be square, right? And and whether that's but it isn't that... with something like this, I don't think you can say something is is sort of sharp. It can be like abs sure. in absolute terms. It can be sharp based right. on the way other people are playing. Sharp is sharp is a judgmental it's, term. It's not a, it's not an absolute term. It's not like I mean. So for baseball, I mean, you could say that you know betting based off of saber metrics in the two thousands was great because the market didn't catch up to it. And now you're kind of fading it, but you're not fading it because sabermetric stuff doesn't matter. It's because there's, and it, because the, or you're not fading it because the market overreacted to it. Now you're fading it because there's more information out there and the market did react to it, but there's information that didn't exist at the time, data that didn't exist. And now we know more. Whereas, you know, in something like this, it's like, this is the strategy of picking, you know, as you said, the team, the 11 seed, made sense condition on other people not doing that. But once everybody starts doing that, then it doesn't. And in Survivor, if everybody if everybody says, oh, I'm going to try to be contrarian, and I know that most people are not, and I'm not going to pick the big favorite, there could be a point where there's value in taking the big favorite. Well, I mean, in this case, this week with Survivor, it's an interesting zigzag conversation, right? Ultimately, because Washington presented a scenario where there wasn't potentially very much future value there. So if you don't use them there, so you have to balance that willingness or the desire to be contrarian with the idea that like, I really would love to get to through week one, only having used Washington and, you know, kind of like if they, if they win, that's a great strategy, a reasonably good strategy. If they lose, obviously that's, that's where you could have really benefited. So but 38% of people of entries were on Washington. So I don't think Washington was the right move. So Washington can never be a, and, in that situation. And no. Never been a trend. Yeah. And, and unfortunately I thought you get more Ravens than Washington. So I, I had a decent number of entries on Washington, but what I'm interested well, in. Well, you still won. Is, so there you go. Well, right. I mean, that doesn't mean the process was good. Sure. But no, that, what I'm interested in seeing is how much. Uh, when I say how much the market or how much people respond to seeing what everybody did last week in terms of what they do this week, seeing yeah. that, okay, it was just these two big favorites that most everybody took, you know, are people going to, are, are fewer people going to take the big favorite as a result? 
and by by learning what they do this next week, I'm going to try to be able to have a much better sense of of predicting where they're going to be in future weeks. So Survivor, what's interesting about it is it's ultimately very much a study of like, uh, you know, biases, like human biases that we all have, right? Because ultimately people believe most people, a lot of people in the market just want to, to win like that week. They don't necessarily think about winning the whole thing. They'd rather advance each week than take the more positive thing that might ultimately lead you to lose near term have a higher probability to lose near term, but a a, lo- a better probability to live, win long term. I mean, there's the enjoyment factor. I'm entering this sure. contest. There's no overlay. If it, th- with the amount of money I have in it, it's it's probably not optimal to spend a ton of time on it. But I think it's fun to have a team to root for, and so the longer you last, in a way, the more fun it is. So. Agreed. If I had to choose between two strategies that are the same, I'm going to take the one that that's, that's more fun. Classic. Uh, okay. How about picks this week? You have a, you have a, how about them? I haven't run, uh, actually I was in the middle of running the Massey Peabody NFL when, when we had to podcast, we went, we both went, we both went one and oh last week, which was great. So I had, I had, uh, you had Tampa plus the I think it was six at the time, but everyone gave us crap about it, but it was six when we recorded, but it was it, or according to you, at least. It was. I, I mean, I was the, looking I at. I was looking at. So, yeah, but uh, we recorded. We recorded last week. Was it on Tuesday? Yeah, we recorded early. I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh plus the two and a half against Cleveland on Monday night. Think that that's a bit of an overreaction to what happened last week. That's my pick. What do you have? Pittsburgh plus two and a half. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna take Seattle plus six, on the road. Seattle. I'm only seeing Detroit. five and a half, that, Rufus. Where are you oh, hold seeing on. six at? Let me you're, let you're me doing your little doing your little games hold, again. Okay. This is what I have in my spreadsheet. I'm gonna pull up uh unabated screen here. Upcoming games. Spread. Fascinating radio. I'm seeing plus oh, it's plus. very, very fascinating. Fascinating. I'm seeing um bookmaker plus six minus one ten, circa Book plus call. six minus one ten. I'm only seeing sixes. Okay. Bet online plus six minus one fifteen. Pinnacle plus six minus one ten. Okay. We'll give, we'll give okay. you plus six. We'll give you plus six on Seattle. I see um, DraftKings with five and a half and Canby books at five and a half, but everybody else is at six. Next week, maybe we can do a little bit more of our survivor analysis. I'm sure you're not ready to discuss survivor for this week. There's a lot of interesting opportunities. There are a lot of reasonably big spreads. What are your thoughts there? On who I would take this week? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Um looking really quickly i'm always partial to home teams for some reason uh maybe maybe the giants even though they're not a home team that seems like a reasonable one to bet against arizona in the bet against arizona strategy um giants looked terrible last week so maybe don't get that much attention um so what are the the teams that you're gonna see picked the most i mean the biggest favorites are you know san francisco Dallas Rams, Dallas, and then Buffalo. I know. I I actually like the Jets this week plus the nine and a half. I mean, I know that. I don't know if you know, but Aaron Rodgers got hurt last night. But yeah, I Aaron do. Rodgers I, got I hurt did, last I night. Did hear that? But ja- the Jets' defense is good. He's and, very good. And I think that they'll be able. I mean, Zach Wilson has overreaction. Talent. Overreaction to how dominant Dallas looked. 
And I mean, also Dallas, just, Dallas had a, they had a defensive score to a special team they score. Two, they had two, they had two like non-offensive scores. Right. right. That's, that's one plus one. Yeah. We were that saying works. the same thing quickly at the same time. Quirty. Okay. Quirty. There we go. That's the new expression. We just learned Quirty is when I know everything you're going to say and more than what you're actually going to say before you say it. And Rufus and I have this all the time, Quirty with each other. So that's Quirty. It's a really D- DFL talked to us about this um, before he came on. So it's our new expression for bet the process It's called QWERTY. Uh, thanks again for listening this week. Uh, we'll talk to you all again next week. Um, all of you should stick around and listen to a brief soundbite with the CEO of Hull Tactical, who this episode is brought to you by, uh, Petra Bakasova, as she continues to do a series of answering questions from us about Hull Tactical. So we'll talk to you guys all again next week. So when you think then about, like we've, we've had someone on um, in the past who's talked a little bit about the, the, the like two versions of almost like modeling, one he's calling like a left to right versus a right to left. And I think you could probably understand what that means from a standpoint of starting with a hypothesis and then going into the data or looking at the data and then kind of trying to almost suss out a hypothesis from that. What do you, what do you guys think more about? Because I assume that like, if you're looking at research papers, there is some semblance of hypothesis that goes into these research papers that you ultimately then need to like sort of bear out or prove out in the real world. Um, which do you think best describes the methods that you guys use at, at Hall Tactical? So starting with the hypothesis is always a little bit dangerous because there's kind of a famous saying that if you beat the data long enough, it's it's going to tell you what you want to hear. So, you know, starting with a really strong prior, you're probably going to find exactly what you want. So, but on the other hand, we don't want to start with just, you know, data because there has been such a huge explosion of data available and there's so many, you know, variables that may not be variables and you're just looking at superior correlations. So I would say we, you know, whether we, one or not, because we start from academic work, there's usually some kind of hypothesis built in, but we try to be really open-minded and, and you know, if we it's, it's more like the baseline is the variable doesn't make it in, even if it has a good hypothesis. So if we, you know, we look for reasons to exclude variables as opposed to, you know, trying to beat the data into proving that something is correct. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet diesel but the engines running off a leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's this episode of Beth the Process is brought to you by Hull Tactical. The hosts of this podcast are not investors with HDAA and we're not directly compensated for their views. However, HDAA sponsored this podcast. The hosts and Sponsors share a conflict of interest because the sponsor paid a one-time cash compensation for the content of the podcast, and the hosts may be incentivized to endorse or promote HDAA's investment management services. Massive Peabody rankings. We're looking for the edge. Analytically driven. Crunching all the numbers.